0: If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen.
1: Hey friend, before we jump into this show with Sarah Ross, I wanted you to know that her new book, Dear Work, Something Has to Change, is hot off the press. Yes. So before anything else, a big congratulations to our friend Sarah from our community here. We're sending you tremendous amounts of love, all of it, sending it your way, friend, but also dear listener. Go grab your copy. Go ahead. You can head over there now or at least just put it in your cart so you don't forget later (laughs) because I'm just saying after this inspiring chat, you'll definitely want to learn more from Sarah. Okay, on to the show. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of In The Details with your host, moi, Karen Allen. I'm back again and with another incredible human who I'm so excited. We just spent a few minutes getting to know each other, but then also just once I looked at her information and the work that she's doing and her passion, I mean, you're going to hear in this conversation tons of synergy and I am so thankful that she said yes to sit down and share her brilliance with you. So Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much for hanging out with us this morning.
0: Well, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation.
1: Yes. So Sarah Ross is a keynote speaker. She is also the chief vitality officer at Brain Amped, which we will learn about and author of a book coming out January 31st. So you may be listening to this before or after either way, at some point you need to go check it out because the title alone gets you dear work. (laughs) Something has to change. I love that title. How did you even decide like This is where this is what it is. This is this is how I'm introducing it to the world.
0: (laughs) Thank you. So uh, it's such a weird title. I totally get it, and so (laughs) I feel like for myself, I take a bit of a weird approach to things. But it came from genuinely a letter that was written to work. Like this is it opens up with a letter that I wrote to work, and I wrote. I've been writing letters my whole life. Uh, We, you know, people often talk about gratitude journaling and journaling, and I. I have always done that, but in a bit of a weird way, I've always been like to someone, uh, something that's going on. And even like as as a young person, I did it, but as an adult, like I would do, if I was struggling with a friend, if I'm you know, struggling with a colleague, I've always written letters. I feel like there's just a way that it allows me to depersonalize things. And this letter got written one day. After I was no different than most people, I really loved the work I was doing and I was totally overwhelmed by it, totally maxed out by deadlines and expectations, internal expectations, external expectations. And I was about to cancel out on friends for the second time and I knew they were going to be ticked off at me. And I reached for my phone and I was working on my computer and I spilled this coffee cup that I've got full of coffee all across my computer, all over the floor and as i'm cleaning it up i truly like the tears start flowing and i was like this is not working like something yes. has to change <laughs> and right after that i actually literally wrote a letter to work which essentially starts with dear work i love you but something has to change like this yeah. this cannot be the future and i can't keep doing it this way but i don't want to be less committed and less dedicated and less passionate and lower the bar on my goals and desires so that had stayed in this Like box in my closet, and I was working on this book, and I was telling a friend that was just you know asking me to tell them a little bit more about it, and I said, well, it actually started with this letter, and I shared what was in this letter, and they they were like, well, that that's the start of your book. Mm -hmm. I was like, can I call it Dear Work? And they're like, it's weird. (laughs) Go for (laughs) it. And then I just stayed with it, and I think people there's a weird intuition when people hear it, they're like, oh, I know what you're saying, because it's really about. Our relationship to work and changing our relationship to work. And that doesn't mean, I mean, all the talk right now, that doesn't mean we have to quit out or check out of our work. It just means that perhaps the relationship we have isn't serving us in the work that we want to do and the life we want to lead.
1: Mm, I love that for so many reasons because you know, my best friend actually and I were talking about this: how two things can be true at the same time. Yes. Duality and right. (laughs) What a tricky and slippery slope that is. But that's exactly what you're saying in this is I love the work that I do. I'm passionate about it. And a lot of people have felt this way. And then you find yourself in a unhealthy cycle of work, which is why I love that, you know, right after the comma, something has to change. It's not we're breaking up. That's exactly <laughs> not, thank you. Done,
0: <laughs> picked up on that. That's exactly it. Yes.
1: Yes. And and the timeliness of this is also just perfect because that's The biggest blessing, but also shocker that came through this season that we are, you know, still finding our way out of is that work changed the way that we work and the way that we live also changed. And, and one way that I have found really my tribe is through our belief in work-life harmony, which I know is something that you believe in very much. So very very much much so, right. But before you even knew that that was the aspiration of success for you or, or what you really wanted to maybe pull. In and start to generate success around. What was life like before you came to this point?
0: Oh, so I always think about this question because it's like I don't want to be the person who's like, "Well, when I was five, But I will, (laughs) I will say this. So, so this is you know a, a real story. I am, and I know we share this passion. I nerd out on people, and what I mean by that is like the question. The best way to sum up me would be. In my brain, if there was a little thought bubble, this is what I'm always thinking, like, huh, why are they doing that? Yes. <laughs> like it's just I'm intrigued with the question, why do we do what we do? And why don't we always do the things we know we should in the moments we know they'd be most helpful? Wow. And and that has been a question that's formed my life. Like there, the, the when I was like young, my mom would, and my mom would take us up to a mall. I grew up in a small town. So to go to a mall was like, had to go to the next city and it was a big deal. And so she would take us to the mall. And I always wanted to go to the bookstore because I geeked out and I had my best friend Katie with me and Katie would want to go and look at the magazines. And I did want to look at the magazines, but I would always go over to the self-help section. And my mom would always say, it's like, I just have to go find my daughter in the self-help section. And I was like, 12. And it's so it's just <laughs> this that. thing. It's it was just this thing that I have always really, really, really been intrigued with people. And so what also comes from that is that question is why do I do what I do? Like, why don't I do what I know I should in the moments that would be most helpful? And so through school, I always liked the science of things. People are like, psychology must be your major. And I was like, I nothing on psychology. It is wonderful. But I like kind of I like a little bit of concreteness to things. I'm pragmatic right. in that sense. I can be pretty skeptical of things. So it's like, but why? Like, I want some like science to it. I need hence. the evidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hence the like the, the kind of lean to cognitive science and neuroscience and different things that way. And so for myself, it's it. I fall into that exactly what you said. I am a super passionate person. And I do not believe people should lower the bar on the things that drive them. I think where you said harmony is so important I think that is recognizing what are those things that are important to you and instead of trying to be less of those how do we raise the other elements to help create the harmony between the two so like I I always hear people say I'm too empathetic I've been told I'm too empathetic or I'm too passionate or I'm too this and and it's it it is never energy fueling to try to be less of who you are but mm. to step into fully who you are is a different way of thinking. And so that has really driven my passion around this to allow people to make their best, most positive, healthiest impact in a way that is sustainable and in a way that lets their best shine. And, and so that's kind of driven my my passion on this topic.
1: Yes. Oh, I love that. How you can be fully and not less of who you are. Yes. What gets in the way of us being fully, like fully ourselves, do you think?
0: <laughs> okay. We have four hours to go through this list. Correct. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I think there are so many pieces. I think a huge part, so a huge part of this, this kind of research I've been doing and and make sure I come to this question. I'm going to take a slight loop to it, if I may,
1: mm-hmm.
0: where I, I, I'm intrigued by leadership, self-leadership, leadership leadership of others, that that kind of piece has always been really important to me. And studying emotional intelligence, which just is this big umbrella of like Mm -hmm. all this people skills that are so important, I think has been incredibly, incredibly telling for us. And one of the things that shifted me away from just looking at leadership impact is I kept finding over the last kind of five years, I'd have clients come up to me after Especially kind of those in a leadership role or carrying a lot of responsibility, entrepreneurs, you know, like with a lot of weight on their shoulders and they'd be like, listen, I know I need to be more emotionally intelligent. Like, I know what I should do, but I just feel too tired to do it. Mm. And that was a big red flag where it's, it's one of those, like, we keep thinking we need more strategies, but we don't have the fuel to drive those strategies. And that taking that step back really matters. So when you start to ask the question, what is it that gets in the way of us stepping into our fullest self? I mean, I think there's so many pieces. It's what it's the identity that we carry. It's the sure. opinions of other people. But yeah. I truly think this, this kind of dear work about changing our relationship to work is recognizing what our beliefs are about work and about success and what it takes, for example, to be successful. And I think some of those beliefs are rooted in values that matter to us so much, right? Mm Like making a positive impact, guiding, empowering, coaching, leading other people, following passions, setting bold goals, right? Like just having yeah, we high we love standards. to grow and be challenged. Right, right? Those are all incredibly important. And then sometimes I think some of those beliefs, they get morphed in a way that actually causes us to take from ourselves versus beliefs that are actually serving us most effectively. So I think a lot, I mean, this is your language. I think a lot of it has to do with our, there is absolutely external factors and our beliefs and our mindsets and our, the way we interpret and are able to understand our emotions. I mean, those are massive, massive factors on what I think gets in the way.
1: Yes. And I think when we talk about, you know, showing up fully, a lot of people, really like they default to identity. I need to show up as all of these different things that I am. But when I think about showing up fully, it's more of a feeling for me. It's kind of like feeling alive, right? Like just like feeling energy that helps me to show up in a way that is productive and that is helpful to those around me. So that me showing up fully, it, it, in my mindset, it's not so much about my identity and more so about the energy exchange. Right. Ah. And so from that space, then I think what we could kind of like deconstruct is, well, then what gives me energy? Like what actually helps me to show up, you know, from a space of clarity and composure, you know, also that one that is creative, one that is expansive and sees, you know, the good in others. And so, okay. Then when, as I'm deconstructing this, what gets in the way of all of that, as you mentioned, are all of the other things that are actually draining me (laughs) that are taking away from me being able to serve in this way or work in this way, or, you know, just show up in this way. And so it kind of feels like if you're working with someone, how do you help them to maybe identify those things that they saw as success markers? Yes really see, okay, are these serving me in a way that helped me to show up fully or are they depleting me from showing up fully? Right. And detracting all of that. And so how do you help someone who's like, Hey, I, I feel like I've been misaligned, right? Maybe I've been building and working in a way that's actually not in alignment with what makes me feel alive. So when someone comes to you from that place, There's a lot, as you mentioned, like, okay, let's spend the first four hours just talking about that. But no, really it's a, it's a lot to chew off. So what are the first things that you kind of help them do to say, oh, this is how I can start to work and live in alignment with what
0: makes me feel alive. I think, well, you've hit it. Like, so the first thing, so this book, dear, dear work, but my research has really been focused on this thing that I call vitality, which we all know the word it's the least sexy word. It doesn't rhyme with anything, Like, it's, <laughs> but but what it is, is this, and we all know it when we're around somebody who exudes this sense of vitality. It is, I mean, it, it the Latin derivative of vitality is vita, which is life energy. So to your point, it's this aliveness. Now aliveness can come in this kind of, in a sense of like energy and excitement, but aliveness can come from a sense of, presence and intentionality yes. and calm. Yes. It is it is being in that moment. It's feeling a sense of alignment. It's being able to bring your best forward to the things that matter most in a way that is also healthy for you. And, and so this idea of you know what I ended up putting together is our relationship with work and, and how we manage our energy. And together that becomes our work vitality quotient. Mm-hmm. And here's what I think is interesting. So number one, you hit it Think of those moments. Think about what you're doing when you genuinely do feel most like you, when you feel, uh, when you feel most alive, okay, energy success. These are all things that leave clues. We just need to slow down long enough to actually start looking at those. And then when I was doing the research around this book, it was really interesting because I think. And I it's something everybody gets. I I think, and I've heard you talk about it in other podcasts, like when people are working in their genius zone. Like I call it your standout zone. And what I mean is like your the best of what you bring to the table stands out in those moments. And intuitively it allows other people to bring their very best in those moments as well. Right. Like that I think is so important. And so we know what it's like. So what does it feel like? What does it look like? What have people told you you are like when you are. Firing on all cylinders and, and you're in that standout zone. Because equally, we all know what it's like to be stuck in survival mode, like that survival zone where it's just it feels like everything is sacrifice-based trade-offs. Like we are, you know, just keeping our head above water. We are existing, but we are not fully living. Mm-hmm. And and I think sometimes it is important to be able to contrast some of those. And here's what's interesting. Sometimes we're right off track, but often we're a lot more aligned than we think we are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, it's more of, oh, to your point. Okay. So what are some of those beliefs that might be getting in the way? What do you think you need to do to fulfill that, that Mm -hmm. success to be the person people can count on to be helpful, but it also comes down to what do you believe about the challenges you are facing? Like stress, is a huge factor. So our beliefs and our practices around stress really matter. And then the third factor is, are you actually doing what you love doing, but are you just forgetting to refuel that energy so that you can keep doing it day after day? Mm. And finally, what actually matters to you? Because here's the thing. I, I think there's been so much emphasis on managing our energy. That is, don't get me wrong, we need to manage our energy to get through the day. However, when you take that energy, your mental, emotional, physical energy, and you direct it towards the things that matter to you, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden energy becomes vitality. It's that what matters to you is what is that energy inspiring piece. And then it's the using it, like it's generated and sustained by using it and refueling it. But I think that there are kind of these three buckets. It's it's how do we actually see ourselves and believe what is required to be successful? Okay, when we face those challenges in chasing down those bold goals and building those relationships that matter and trying to kind of live this full life, how do we deal with the obstacles and stress we face? And then are we actually skillful and disciplined in doing the work to keep refueling the passions. And that work is sometimes sleep and sometimes exercise and, and doing the work to actually refuel that. Because I think many people who are passionate believe the rules of overwork don't apply to them Mm. and they think passion is going to fill the gap, but we both talk humans, humans are humans and there is no amount of human energy that is infinite without being replenished. And so our skillfulness in that department is very, very low. So it's not really like the the clearest answer, but it's to say it's also not always a cut and dry. It doesn't mean you're on the wrong path. Perhaps there are other factors that are contributing to help you see you're actually closer than you think you are, but maybe it's an alignment of, of beliefs and actions that will help you get there.
1: Yes. And many times when we think that we're, you know, we need to make a change or we want to make a change. We think that it's because there's more that we need to do when sometimes it's less of what you need to do. Like maybe you are on the right path, but so many other things you've picked up along the way that you can put down, you don't need that are, are not serving you. But I love how you mentioned like part of this is it's not saying okay, how do I eliminate stress in my life? Yes. It's more so of how do I manage it? Right. And so we live a lot in this, my space, favorite topic I, for the record. Yeah. Yes, 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 Because, and I actually found this when I started to share this message more and I was getting in front of more audiences, I would start to hear some feedback from people that I didn't anticipate because I thought I was just very, you know, I'm very honest about all of these things in life. I don't sugarcoat it, but yes. the feedback that I was getting was, is this toxic positivity? And it Never even crossed my mind because for me, I knew that was a hard no. But when I started to really chew on that and I could hear and I hear how people interpret some of the things that we share with them, it they think it's from this space of how you can. I don't know. It, look on the bright side, or yeah. how you can, you know, make things better. And I'll, yes, 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 yes. But but it's not at the cost of ignoring or suppressing the stress. It's more so of building the skill set and the tools so that you can manage it. Because stress is always going to be there. It's uncertain. It's out of our control. It comes yeah. from left field. It's it's all of those things, right? And so. It's more I think the question becomes yes as we're looking for alignment and we want to do those things that refuel us also we need to increase our capacity for stress or
0: build new 100%. tools
1: for stress you know like it, there, that that's part of I feel like being human we talk about all these other skill sets that we need and leadership uh, skills and things that we need right but like let's talk about how we deal with it and then on the other
0: side of this in a healthy way <laughs> Okay. So, oh, I love this topic and same thing. (laughs) I'll get some pushback on things. I'm totally okay with it. uh, And I think I'll just say this. I think there's a fundamental difference between a positivity and possibility. And and I truly, I truly do. I think that uh, you were talking, you know, intentionality, uh, being able to kind of bring this kind of courage and discipline to things, a sense of intentionality. But I think the other piece of that is like, our brains are, we know our brains are wired for worry and, and to notice, and we've got this negativity bias and we, we do, we notice and we pay attention to negative emotions, potential threats in our, in our, in our realities. But our, our brain is also wired for a sense of wonder, a sense of ability to say, huh, I wonder why I wonder what else I wonder what could be. And I think people, for people to really recognize that when you start, you, you're saying it. If you're ignoring emotions and trying to jump over that state, uh, that is toxic positivity, and it that and it's unhealthy. I mean, mm-hmm. Susan David's work around emotional agility is is so powerful for people because she, you know she calls it the tyranny of positivity. It's like it's okay to to feel crappy, it, and it, not just yeah. for a minute. Like it, that <laughs> is reality. And that ability, the skillfulness, is actually getting, I think, more comfortable with the hard feelings of emotion without either trying to get rid of them, put a happy face stamp on them, or immediately trying to reframe it into something that's helpful. Like to actually just say, "What? What is this telling me?" I, I you know, Kelly McGonigal's book, "The Upside of Stress," actually truly changed. Like it was one of those life-changing books for me to read. And when she really reinforces on the work of Aaliyah Crum and she says, stress, be really clear, stress is your body's way of indicating to you that something you care about is at stake. Mm. So if you think about that just for a moment, when we feel that stress, it means something that matters to us is at risk. That is also a guide towards what matters to us us. Mm. And there is a significant difference between what a stressor is that initiates that and the stress response. And we know the stress response if unchecked will can have really, you know, unhealthy effects on us, but it is meant to give us the energy to step into life to step into the challenging things that matter to us. Mm-hmm. And we can't do purposeful work. We we can't chase down bold goals and build these kind of strong, deep bonds and live a fully lived life that is going to be full of adversity. That to your point, you can't get away with that without facing stress. And so when we can think of stress as, as helping connect us to what matters, what, what, is meaningful in this moment. And am I acting and reacting in a way that is in service of that or not? It doesn't mean that you have to ignore what's there, but it's like, what's that actually telling you? That's the piece I think we keep skipping over. You talk about that, you know, beautifully in, in your new book. I loved that because it was just like, ah, oh, just sit in it. It yeah. feels terrible. Yeah. But that but like, like, even when you say in it, you're actually, uncertainty tolerance is better. Yeah. It, also, yeah. It builds your tolerance. Like you actually, you learn
1: how to face it and deal with it when you allow yourself to just be in it. (laughs) But
0: that's different than spinning out and staying stuck in it. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like it is one of those. But describe describe the slight difference in that. So to me, it is one of those. Oh, and this can get you know, it's it can start to get complicated. Our interpretation, like this, is what is happening right now. (laughs) Facts. What is the fact? sometimes we have a habit of like adding our interpretations onto that, like way out awfulizing it, worst case scenario. It's like none of that, like literally none of that has happened yet. And if someone said, like, are you sure that's true? It's like, well, no, but that's what I think. We add these interpretations or we add people's intentions onto something. Yes. You know, like we, we put these judgments into things that then complicate The facts of the situation, Mm -hmm. and I think when you can get when you get caught on all of the uncontrollable factors, Mm -hmm. and you get caught on wishing things were different and wanting things to be different, but not actually doing anything different, that can start to be a very unhealthy place. Yeah, and you know we all probably have a beautiful friend, and or maybe have been one of those people before Mm -hmm. who you know they talk about a problem and we want to be super supportive. And then they talk about the problem and we want to be super supportive. And then the 14th time that the same problem is being talked about without any changes being made, that's spinning and staying stuck Mm -hmm. on the uncontrollable things. And I think that's where that kind of power of acceptance can be. It's not settling and stopping. It's saying, this is what is true.
1: Mm -hmm. This
0: is what is happening Mm -hmm. and it sucks. Yeah. And what are the things that actually are in alignment with what matters to me that will allow me to heal, that will allow me to do what needs to be done, that will be done in a healthier way. And I think that's, that's a very, very big difference.
1: Mm-hmm. Now I learn through story. Like I love yeah. hearing how people have done something very specific, which is why I, I share a lot of stories because our, our life print is so different. Everybody's life print is so different, right? Just like our oh, favorite. love that. Right, so there's no way that I can say this is exactly what I live through, and I know it's going to work perfectly for you as a matter of fact, that was a huge limiting belief that like kept me from putting stop and shift in the world and and sharing yeah. it, but it's not that it has to be identically applicable to your life, but we all pull from it because they all hold some sort of universal truth. So I'm gonna ask, do you have a story of when the pressure was on or you know the stress was to the max? And what skill or tool did you use or lean into that helped you to find your way out? Yeah.
0: Oh pick one. I know, right? (laughs) The story of life. I, I think that there's a couple of things that matter. I think that I would go to those moments. And this, this is probably a counter response. And there's a couple of stories I often go into and people are like, well, yeah, but that's this big story versus this. What about those days that are just stressful? They just feel stressful where it just feels like there is too much coming at us. A lot of it feels very scary. The concern is we're letting people down, we're abandoning ourselves and the things that are really important in those moments. And then we go and re-react to something or to someone we love mm-hmm. in a crappy way. Like one of the and, and and I say this because one of the kind of pivot moments for me that is is less of this big stress moment, but more of an aha of the implications of these compounding stress days where I was surviving through it versus doing something intentional with it. And it's, I, as somebody who has done a lot of training with leaders and researcher, we, I was putting together this assessment. I was going to work with a whole senior team and I was having them do this like personal assessment and a bunch of it was on emotional intelligence kind of characteristics self awareness how you manage emotions empathy coaching all of this kind of great stuff and i was having them do it as this self self assessment and then i had this great idea i was like wow wouldn't it be great if then they had this kind of conversation with not just their work people cuz that's who we always talk about but if we're going to talk about this idea of of getting out of this cycle of overworking and underliving let's be honest who does that impact it's the people that we care most about out in our life. So what if I gave them this, get them to self-assess and then they give it to somebody that they care about to kind of assess them on the same questions. And that be the conversation versus just looking at how I'm going to change and work. It's actually like tying this awareness together. And so I was working on this and my husband came in to the room that I was working. Now I was working in the living room and I always say this because I have like, when I'm working on something, I feel that I need to have all my papers everywhere. Like it's just the, <laughs> my creative brain is working yes. and it drives him crazy. He's like, you have an office for this. I was like, I know,
1: I, but know I need space. to be out
0: here. Yeah. And so he sits down and he thinks we're about to watch. I think we were, it was probably like Dateline on a Sunday night, Um, but he sits down thinking we're going to watch TV. And I was like, Ooh, better idea. And so I've got this assessment. I slide it over to him and I'm like, I want you to assess me thinking this is like the greatest thing ever. Like, perfect. I'm going to like learn all about myself. This will be fun. And in that moment, my husband is sitting on the couch and takes the assessment and just slides it back across the coffee table. And he says, no, just like that. Like Not even judgment, not me, just no. And I remember feeling this like emotion of just like, what? No, like I'm not gonna get mad. And I'm sure I was like mad and I'm like, just I just am asking you to assess to assess me. And he said, I know you love what you do, and I know the people you do it for appreciate it. It it just means I don't always get the best of you. And it was one of the most kind and compassionate. And important conversations I've I've ever had with my husband. It wasn't me, it wasn't with any judgment, and I remember because it's like it hurt. Like even when I say it right now, I can feel it makes my hand shake and it hurts mm-hmm. in my stomach. And I, uh, you know, I felt my eyes well up and I wanted to be def- like defended and like, well, that's not all the time. And then I felt angry and it's like, well, you know, I love what I what I do and he's just said that. And then it was just that realization of that's right. He is right. Mm -hmm. The people who deserve the, one of the people who deserves the very best of me is not getting the best of me. What he's getting is the leftover me. Mm -hmm. And I need to decide if that is okay. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not. And so when you ask, you know, what to do, well, if I am in those, you know, moments and I'm feeling overwhelmed, well, sometimes what that is, is I know that the people who matter the most, give the most, and deserve the best are getting left over me. Now, when I connect to that, when that's what I look for, the meaning in that moment, that starts to change the decisions I'm going to make, the questions I ask of myself. That's where, as you said, that expansive possibility-based thinking comes from. Mm-hmm. And it's, do I need to work later Into the evening tonight. Who is that in service of? Have I checked in? Is this somebody's, is this really someone's expectation? Or is this what I'm doing to be easy to work with, Sarah? Always dependable, Sarah. And, you know, it is, it's one of those that that's a very, very different way of thinking. And then what else is possible in this moment? Like I care about doing great work. I also care about being healthy. And because just for the record, that conversation also showed me, it was like, you know, who's also not on that list of best of me, (laughs) me, like I am like way below leftover me. I'm like nothing. So then I think that's important to like, check into what you're feeling. Like, what is this feeling? And sit with that for a moment. It's information. Okay. I always say that's the feel that what is it revealing, right? What does it reveal is meaningful in this moment. And what often comes out of that, if you're willing to sit for a moment and get skillful at a looking in, but, but courageous to feel it is we often can then say, okay, so are my current reactions in alignment with what's most important? Yes. Yes. Mm. and sometimes, and like, Hey, I have had more arguments with myself than I've had with yeah, anyone know, like, else. where it's like, I then fight myself. I'm like, yeah, but I'm doing this because this person has left me no option. And, but it is one of those things. It's like, okay, there's an, there's an ownership and an accountability there. Like are my actions in service of what I just said was most important. If not, what needs to change and what is most important. So if we feel this, we allow ourselves to sit and look at what matters, what's meaningful, how, if, if this matters, how can I use this as a place to step into growth and learning of giving and growing others of aligning and grounding myself in values that are really important. And from there, it's like, you feel it, You allow that to reveal what's important, and then you need to actually take actions, right? You have to actually do something, but now your actions are in alignment with the meaningful moment of that stress versus the reaction to the emotion of that stress, and those are fundamentally different, and we know from a stress response, those are then fundamentally different different in how our body responds to that our neuro is built from those moments. And the last piece is, okay, you can keep doing that. And that is fantastic. But the last piece is you also need to heal. Like you need the time to recover, which is space to, to kind of allow that stress response to run its cycle, those cortisol levels and hormone levels to reset to a baseline. And so how do you actually make sure that you are then doing what is needed for you? So that you can keep stepping into those difficult moments. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if that answers your question, but I think it's more of like, this is just the everyday stuff that I think those strategies and the goal of feeling more alive is feeling in alignment. Yeah. And it's the small things that often are what get us there because the big ones we actually tend to, they're big, but they garner more of our attention. So there is this small thing of like, okay, this is one of those big moments that counts. It's sometimes I think we overlook the power of small moments, hence the the theme of your podcast, right? Yeah. Like it's yes. those small things that compound over time that have an outsized impact. And yes. we have a lot of power in those small moments.
1: Well, I love that you shared a a small moment, a seemingly small moment in your day, but you could pinpoint it because I really feel like all the small moments are reps for the bigger, more catastrophic ones, right? And, and you can point back to that moment that again, seemingly small, but the pause was so massive. Uh, I'm going to change that word. Mighty. It was so mighty. Yeah. That that and truly like that. because when you take a pause, again, small moment or big moment, yeah, you can really just assess what is my response to this stress. Yes.
0: Ooh, yes. that is and it's so the hardest good. part. Like I every so why don't we do the things we know that would be most helpful in the moments that matter? Mm-hmm. Because we often try to work. Counter to how our brain is designed to respond in those moments,
1: mm-hmm,
0: right? Mm-hmm. So it's just like to not feel it, and to, is ridiculous that that is not how we work. Our that's that the most unhelpful thing that we could it do. Is, it is, <laughs> and it's one of those. And you know, and the other piece, and I just want to point this out because sometimes in those really, really big moments, I think we almost always have a choice in our response. There are moments we don't. Full stop. And so I think there is an important, like, I think that's an important thing for people to recognize that in those really, really big moments, there are reactions that are human nature reactions, that in reflection after how we're managing it is a different thing. But in the moment, we are literally just doing what we need to do to go through that moment. And so I think that's a really important part, which is why I like the small moments because those really are the like everyday, frustrations that we, we can kind of handle a little bit differently.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
0: when we work against our brain, when it's just like, Oh, I don't want to feel this. Well, you can't control the first emotion you feel right. That is out of your control or the first thought that comes into your mind. (laughs) Yeah. Not, not your, that is just outside of you. Mm -hmm. So you are not responsible for that. You are accountable for the second. you are accountable for that interpretation. And so the skillful part is how do we recognize that emotion and that situation showing up? And to your point, actually just pause. Mm -hmm. I I read somewhere and I've got to see if this is the actual kind of, when they look at the response in the brain of an emotion, it's like 90 seconds. Like it's the actual feeling. It's like 90 seconds long. Mm. And then it passes. And the rest of it is what we're doing with our interpretations and our reactions and how we're rehashing and going over the same thing over and over again. But if we can just pause it, it doesn't always have to be for nine, but truly 90 seconds in many situations can make a difference. But even three seconds when somebody says something yeah. <laughs> or you get that email. Yes. <laughs> <it's just> like, <gasps> Yes. Most of us can go and get a glass of water before we start brutalizing our keyboard with our response. Like the yes. hardest part of of dealing with emotions is actually giving a moment for your thoughtfulness to catch up with the physiological response.
1: So, one thing that you say that I really really loved was we have to be strategic about self-care. Yes. And that really resonates so deeply with me because I did not have the money for a therapist when I was in the midst of my grief. Right. I would see a therapist and she's phenomenal, but I could only see her like once every three months. Maybe I just did not have the financial means. I couldn't sign up for a coaching program. I wasn't even thinking about a coaching program. Right. I would, I also, even though I would read sometimes it's like, I couldn't fully immerse myself because my brain was just, you know, soup basically. I would not So, but then there were these little things that I would hold on to. And it was, it was when I made the decision that I wasn't going to give up. I, I yeah. knew I was intentional, like I'm going to get up, but that doesn't mean that I can, I don't know, run a mile. That doesn't mean exactly. that all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to get up. up. Right. Right. <laughs> and so it was these little things that I started to be more strategic with, for example, drinking water all day. Not watching the news when somebody was being negative or they were saying things that were just really hurting my soul. Yeah removing myself from that space. Also, I wouldn't go to the gym every day because I didn't always have the energy, but when I knew I could do something physical, I would strategically do it one hour before picking up my son from daycare, because I knew then that at the very least, I would have some endorphins and serotonin running through my body at the time that I was picking him up. Right. And then, so that was like, just early on. Then I got into, okay, now, you know, I feel better about working. I'm kind of, I have my head on straight a little bit more. So then it became my passion was keeping me up until 3am, but I had to get up at seven to see, get my son ready for school or, or daycare would have you, or I would then get him out. And I wasn't eating because I would jump right into writing a blog or what, right. So I had to be more strategic yes. about, eating at a certain time or making sure what I ate before I went into a meeting was fuel and not trash. So yeah, strategic self-care doesn't have to be these big lifts. And people have heard me say this here before that these small hinges move big doors, the little things that you do compound over time. Okay. Now I'm just yeah. going to let you riff. No, <laughs> I, I, So you, you did
0: it beautifully. Like if there was like a way to a story to actually Describe what that means. That is exactly it, and and it's. I think it's. You know, I think part of the skillfulness in that there, people are like, well, I don't have the energy for that. What do you have the energy for?
1: There you go. Because if you
0: even have like, you may not to your point. I like don't have the energy to to get up and run a mile. But do I have the energy to get up and go walk around the block? Like, what is the smallest practice that will at least Mm -hmm. give yourself a belief in yourself that you can do something. Mm -hmm. And so the strategy is what are those things? If it's the smallest thing, to your point, I'm going to choose to drink water versus 400 cups of coffee. Mm -hmm. That is just being, making a choice and being intentional in that choice. But I think the other piece, and it's a really, you know, you even said it with exercise, a, It's what are the things that will also allow other people to get the best of me, like me to get the best of me, but that allow me to show up as the more patient version of myself. the the one who's more empathetic, who laughs more more. joyful. That was my thing. I want to be strong and joyful. (laughs) Yes. Who I noticed the person I've just walked by and met, you know, made eye contact. Cause we all know we've had somebody who has dropped a door on us and it has ruined our day, but we also. Every single one of us know there's that moment that someone has just taken a second to see us and say hello. It because somebody just did it to me. And and just, and it was one of those where I just appreciated that human kindness in that moment. And so I think it's it's being strategic, but I'm gonna say this one as well. I think the other piece of it is the question, and there's the possibility of what do I want to feel like as a result of this choice versus what do I feel like doing in the moment? Like, I don't feel like exercising. I love exercise. Let me tell you there. Most days aren't like, I just can't wait to do it. It's like, but I know how I will feel after. And I, what do you want to feel versus what do you feel like doing in the moment? And, and I think that strategic piece and over time, reflecting on those things to say, when I eat this way, here is how I feel. When I drink water, oh my gosh, I think more clearly. And it turns out I don't actually need to have that two o'clock dip in the day. So that's paying attention. And that's, that's that piece of actioned wisdom. So if you're going to experience something, if you're going to face hard days, why not take that in, take in that experience, reflect on it, and then action it in a way that is going to keep being more helpful. <laughs> because you already did the hard part of there going go. through it. Yes. Why keep doing the hard part over and over and over again? That, that, it's not even like you won't get a different result. I, that is part of human nature. Why make life harder? When there is enough obstacles (laughs) in our pathway, we do not need to add to it. So I think that piece, and and that is, we have to understand what self-care means. And it does not always mean slowing down to fill our tank back up. Sometimes it's stepping in, it's engaging with people, even if you've been on Zoom all day to say, but when I meet that friend and we go for a walk or we laugh together, that is more refueling with a longer lag effect than, than me just, you know, sitting at home and watching whatever the latest episode of a great show is, yeah. uh, but we just wake up and then we do the same thing over again. So strategic is also reflective and actioned. And so it's that actioned wisdom. So you, you explained that beautifully.
1: Oh, so many good nuggets. <laughs> We have so much to learn from this book that's coming out. I am so excited to get my copy, Sarah. This is amazing. I mean, you know, the biggest takeaway that I have from this conversation is just our ability to build the skills that we need to, to change what we need to. Yeah. Like, right. Because, because there are so many things that we may desire to change big or small, but there's going to be some skill and some discipline and, you know, some unlearning and and all of that, that will contribute to the the true end result here. And again, the time timing of this couldn't be more perfect because if anything, you, you said this a little bit ago, it's like, we don't take enough time or or life has been so busy that we haven't really taken the time to say, hmm, how do I really want this to work? (laughs) Like, am I I really putting all the things in place that are going to contribute to the quality of life that I, I absolutely desire? But we, we did get some of that time. And that is when many people took a moment to reset and we're yeah. still doing some of that now because part of this journey of healing and growth and learning like there's time that goes into all of that yes. so it it i think the the shock that happened to all of our systems and and now it's a, a new way of living for most people this book like is perfect for them because what you're doing is really giving us an opportunity to say how do i put my well-being and overall wellness into the center of my success yeah. And, and, and when I do that, it's very possible. And I know this from your story, my story, just people who are are now in my network and, and now I'm just seeing things so different than, you know, how my parents yeah. lived and how, you know, even, uh, 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 people who are just in a different generation who uh, it's different now and it's okay that it's different and it's okay that you are trying to align yourself in a way that maybe other people don't even understand right now. But for the listeners who this is resonating with, please know that there are resources, there are tools, there are skills that you can lean into people, obviously, through these conversations that can help you truly create the quality of life that you want with all of those things that you're passionate about. And I... Cannot be more excited to get my copy. Sarah, thank you so much for being with us today.
0: I appreciate it. This has been a beautiful conversation. And and I just have to say, you summed up that last piece of being purposeful matters, thinking with a sense of possibility makes us feel alive, but taking, taking our experience and putting it into skillful action, that Actioned wisdom, I think, is the opportunity we have available to us. So, thank you for creating space for wisdom to be actioned. Also, I'm honored to have been able to be a part of it.
1: Absolutely. Well, we'll make sure that everything is linked in the show notes. Make sure you go and check out Sarah Ross on all of our favorite social platforms and get your copy of Dear Work. Something's got to change. Thank you so much, Sarah. (laughs) Thanks.
0: This has been in the details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcast.